What's going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Writing Friction. And as always, today's guest is pretty cool. Everyone say hello to Jonathan Parks Ramage. How are you, Jonathan? I am fabulous. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Again, before the podcast, for people who can see, we were discussing, we have different things on our walls. Um, you had mentioned the guitars. Any interest? You said you never played guitar. Did you ever think about playing the guitar? I once, as a third grader, played the saxophone yeah. poorly. Yeah, yeah. And that's about as far as my musical expertise goes. I, I did actually play the piano as well. Okay. Um, but again, I, I don't have a piano or a saxophone in my current life, Fair as enough. you do with your guitars currently. Yeah, I mean, I've been touring in bands my whole life. So um, you're a debut novelist. I am a debut novellaist. Um, So we're, you know, I'm sure we probably came from this at different angles. So I kind of want to get your story. Um, Where were you in third grade when you were playing the saxophone? (laughs) I was in a small working class New England town called Whitensville. Um, Whitensville, Massachusetts. Okay. And, uh, yeah, that's where I grew up for the majority of my life, though I did end up going to boarding school for high school, also in Massachusetts and Natick. And then my family moved actually to the East Bay, to Berkeley. Okay. Um, where you are right now, or at least very close to there. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I mean, I'm from Jersey originally. Um, all my mother's twin sister, they, that whole part of the family, they grew up in uh, Needham, Massachusetts. So right oh. of Boston. Um, yeah. yeah, I have a lot of Boston roots. My brother went to Brandeis. An ex-girlfriend of mine went to Northeastern. Buddy of mine went to Tufts. It all... Yes, honey. The Boston community. There it is. There You're it is. In it. So uh, <laughs> did you so you said you went to boarding school? Um, when did you start this journey of writing? Kind of how did you come to the book that you're now kind of you know here to talk about? Oh wow. I mean, I had kind of always written um ever since I was a kid. Um had always an interest in storytelling. Um took a detour into acting. Uh, Actually, I went to a a conservatory for musical theater of all things, LOL. So don't let anyone tell you you need an MFA because it's just not true. Um, (laughs) I mean, you definitely have to have a curiosity and love of literature, but, you know, I did not go to school for writing. Um, I had a very brief stint as a New York actor slash waiter, which was absolute hell. And I very quickly decided that I did not. Early 20s Um, kind of thing? Yes, early Uh 20s. A period of my life which has some parallels to uh, the narrator in my book um, for sure. But but yeah, so so it was in New York, waiting tables, failing at being an actor. And I just, I didn't like the lack of control, the lack of creativity in being an actor. And I'd always been interested in writing. Um, I started writing screenplays um, and uh, just really loved that. But I always had this love of literature as well. Um, And so that was always kind of burning at the back of my mind. I was writing short stories as I was writing screenplays. Um, and then I moved to Los Angeles where I now live, 
um, to really kind of make a go at screenwriting. Um, and in the process, I mean, I've sold a few uh, different pilots um, and a feature film spec script that I wrote. Um, but what's so frustrating about Hollywood is that development, like I sold a movie two years ago that is still in development. Yeah. Um, and it just takes forever. And you can have a career as a screenwriter that never gets anything made. I mean, it's wild. Um, so I'd been in Hollywood for a while and just kind of frustrated with, you know, working so hard on these creative projects and, um, and not seeing them to fruition, not giving birth to them essentially. So I, I had an idea for what was originally a short story um, and about a young aspiring playwright who gets into a relationship with a much older, wealthy, famous playwright um, that quickly kind of turned into a novel. And by writing a novel, I was able to kind of take control of the creative process and, and say, okay, I'm actually writing something that can be released into the world as a complete creative product versus screenwriting, which, you know, I'm still sitting here years later after selling the screenplay, waiting for it to get made. So I think it was born out of a desire, not only to tell this story, but also to have uh, a kind of a way to work my storytelling into the world. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, an old roommate of mine, man, this is going back seven years ago in San Francisco. Um, was an aspiring playwright, went to a program at UC Berkeley, you know, some top, he was, he was in it. And he started introducing me to theater. Growing up, I didn't really, I'll be totally honest with you, I've seen one Broadway play in my life, and but it was a good one. Um, I saw Avenue Q. Oh yeah, I love having you. Oh, what a blast that was! And we went. Yeah. I, I, it was a weird thing because like my parents were splitting up, and it was like something my family wanted to do together. And my super conservative father, we go to this Broadway show, Avenue Q, and we see these Muppets and shit. And all of a sudden, they start like fucking each other. Like, what the fuck? And my <laughs> and you can see the coming out of my dad's ears. So when I met him, you know, he started taking me out of all these plays and things like that, and introducing me to actors in the Bay Area. So I kind of, for a little bit, was heavily involved in that i kind of just want to go back to before la the new york thing you were doing yeah what was that like you know obviously waiting tables you know doing that whole thing were you acting actively were you in any plays in new york and what were you doing um i was auditioning a lot i mean i went to a very kind of exclusive conservatory for musical theater and so a ton of my friends started working on broadway pretty immediately after we uh -huh. graduated i did not is that, so that how was, that goes typically? Um, it depends on where you go to school for musical theater. I went to this school called CCM, um, which was a very kind of cutthroat and intense conservatory. There were 12 people in my graduating class. Uh -huh. um, so, but it's really hard when all your friends are succeeding as actors um, and you're not, and you're waiting tables. I, and it was this really horrific regional production of Beauty and the Beast where I played the Beast, pause for laughs. Um, and I just was in Ithaca in this regional theater in between waiting tables. And I was like, I hate this. Yeah. What am I doing? Well, yeah. I just didn't have the passion for acting 
that you need to basically yeah. sacrifice your entire life for this thing. And I mm-hmm. was much more passionate about storytelling. But what I will say is that I am so glad I did it because I think that all experiences in life contribute to who you are as a person, which contribute to who you are as a writer. And like I said, so much of my life is in this book. Um, you know, the the narrator is an aspiring playwright, not an aspiring actor, and they're definitely, it's definitely fictional. Um, but, you know, I really pulled from those those times being a struggling waiter. I, I you know, it, it, it all worked its way into the novel, which is why I say also to people like, I mean, get your MFA, good for you, girl. But like, I also think that not getting an MFA, you're getting schooled in life. And I think that's really valuable to have experiences like that to, to draw from. Which leads me to my next question. As a dude who moved from North, I mean, I grew up in Queens in Northern New Jersey, like where they filmed The Sopranos. And yeah. I moved to SF. I didn't for, for musical opportunity for a band. I didn't know a single person when I moved here. I was 23 years old when I moved here. I'm 33 now. Um, wh- what was that like for you? Had you been to LA before? Do you have any connections? Why the move? What, what that's a, you know, a 3000 mile jump. What, what, what was, what was going on? Oh, for the move from New York to LA. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it was a very, I was, how to put this. I moved in with my boyfriend. He broke up with me three weeks later. I got testicular cancer that month. And I got Los Angeles. No, no. In New York. Uh huh. And I got fired from my job. So I got broken up with cancer and fired from my job all in one fell swoop in the worst summer of my goddamn life. Mm -hmm. And simultaneously, I, was accepted into a couple different fellowship programs for screenwriting in Los Angeles. And I said, you know what? There is nothing keeping me here in New York. I yeah. long kind of contemplated this move. And I think, especially after you get cancer, I, you kind of are imbued with a fuck everything, let's do this type of attitude. Yeah. Which is what I think propelled me across the coast. But it is, it's, I mean, when you move to a new city, it's, especially a city as big as Los Angeles, it's fucking scary. I mean, I had one friend that I moved with um, and then we moved out at the same time. We were in the same fellowship programs and through those fellowship programs, you know, I met people, but you know, those first months are, can be still really lonely. I mean, you, you're, li- you're leaving kind of this complete life. Like I'd created this complete life for myself, which totally imploded. Um, and then you're just like starting the fuck over. You know what I mean? And uh, so, yeah, so it was, it was, it was, and it's, it just requires you to be scrappy um, to kind of break into a new industry in a new town, meeting all these new people. You, it's, it's, it's exhausting, but I'm really glad that I did it because it significantly transformed my life and my career. Yeah, Los Angeles, I mean, I've toured the country dozens of times. I've been, yeah. And LA to me has always been, it's one, it's the strangest city in the sense that it never, it doesn't, I see you smiling. It doesn't feel like a city. 
to me. Yeah. It's it, it's not a city, right? Like like Chicago is a city. Like you drive in and you see and you 30 miles away you see it and whatever whatever. That being said, to me my LA you know, I've always seen it through the scope of a musician. I've never seen it through the scope of someone trying to break into like the, the real Hollywood side of it. Um, what was your first kind of taste to like Holly? I mean, you know, what were you doing? You know, who were you? How did you get into the Hollywood way of life? If you could that way? <laughs> I mean, uh, Hollywood, do you do Hollywood? What the fuck? Is uh, Hollywood is an idea more yeah. than it is a real play. Hollywood, the place is a, terrifying oh it's crazy trap that i avoided all costs. i've had some hollywood good the, in west hollywood though yes yeah no i mean yes but i mean hollywood is i think uh, um uh the question is how did i kind of break in i i it was helpful to be part of these two kind of fellowship programs when i first moved out here um one of which was the film independent screenwriting lab and then um the cbs uh diversity showcase um and then through those programs i kind of met um executives other actors writers um um which helped me get an agent a manager um which helped me kind of get, I mean, that's kind of the first real big thing that you need to really kind of make it. Um, but it's a fucking grind. I mean, what's interesting is actually like, you know, for year, I mean, a, a lot of what you don't really hear about, which is the case is that there's so much free work that you do in Hollywood. You can be working with a production company that has a massive overall deal at NBC Universal, but they're not going to pay you to develop a TV show. They're not going to pay you to develop a script unless there is a buyer who's actually bought it. So there's a lot of free work that you do. And then even when you sell something, you know, like I said, there's like very, it's very hard to push it through the development track and actually get it get it made. So it's just, it's a lot of hustling. It's a lot of, um, just, it's a grind, but I mean, writing this book, actually what's interesting is, is, (laughs) so I wrote this book and then it was optioned for television by Amazon studios. Um, and this producer, Patrick Moran, who has an overall deal there, he used to be the head of ABC studios. Um, and it was, so easy. I mean, not so easy. That's an exaggeration, but writing a book, Hollywood loves existing IP. Um, and so if it's based on something, they're like, oh, well it works in this other realm. So it must be good and it'll be great. Like, well, let's look at, I mean, you know, we can just obviously, you know, the Marvel movies, the DC, I mean, they'll pump that shit out until people will, it's just eat it up, eat it up. Yeah, of course. But then also there's like, you know, Little Fires Everywhere, which is based yeah. on a book um, starring Reese Witherspoon, Big Little Lies. Like there's, there's, there, there are successful adaptations, unsuccessful adaptations, but, but Amazon kind of, I mean, it, 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 there's just been, I mean, who knows? We'll see if it actually goes to series, but, but it was so much easier to kind of get traction in Hollywood coming from a different realm than coming from within. Um, I found. Yeah, I mean, we've had a couple of authors on the podcast who, you know, 
started out as, you know, Walter Mosley immediately comes to mind where he kind of came to television writing later in his life. I mean, he probably had written 35 novels by the time someone was like, hey, let's, you know, write for TV. But they had adapted movies, you know, in, out of his books. And, you know, he had a really interesting way of talking about it. Janet Fitch, um, who wrote White Oleander, we had her on the podcast. And, you know, they adapted her, you know, her book into, you know, so it's, yeah, it's interesting to hear you talk about that. Um, but I want to kind of go just back to the, the, screenwriting thing um i have a my brother's brother-in-law right mm -hmm. let's get that right so my brother's wife's brother um is a very started out and he was one of the creators of the show uh heroes on abc oh, Remember yeah. back in the day he had like one big season then two three and it shit the bed um <laughs> he went on but from that success he went on to i think create it had i think you know six episodes before they canceled it it was called kings and it was immediately after you know i forget what year this is um and that was a flop and then you know i remember like seeing him around i'm trying to get him on the podcast he was michael green um and uh and he i saw him at like my wedding or whatever and he was kind of you know talking about his stuff and then he started going and he started writing all these this all led to these Marvel movies. And now this dude is just, you know, hanging out in Budapest. He's bringing my brother out <laughs> flying, you know? So it's interesting how all these things can, you know, and you're talking about this and it, this led to your novel and, you know, it's called yes, daddy. And you're talking about, you're able to draw on these things in your life and write about them. Obviously I'm sure you're writing about your experiences in Los Angeles too, right? This grind, this hustle that you're doing. Um, LA doesn't really play a factor in this in this book, yeah. it will in my next book that I'm currently working on. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I always draw from experience, from people I know. I mean, I think that, you know, I also complement all of my writing with pretty heavy research. Um, but there has to be kind of that kernel, for me, there has to be the kind of that kernel of personal experience that serves as kind of an access point into your character's psyches, into their feelings. Um, so you can kind of enter into a character. Um, and in order to, to make that kind of psychic entry into a character's mind, you know, I have to have to have some sort of way to empathize with what they're going through. So and, it helps to, to draw from, from personal experience for sure. Yeah. And what was the routine you were picking up when you were putting on these first drafts of the book? Any kind of routine? Were you working a lot? I mean, what, what was it? Um, it's interesting. I mean, I was, I, I was getting up. I mean, when I was first writing it, it was kind of more intermittent because uh, I wasn't even sure if I was going to write a novel. It was like kind of scary to even admit to myself that I was writing a novel yeah. because it, uh, unlike a screenplay, it's not something you can pitch. It's not, and it's also so much more work even than a full 120 page screenplay. Like it's like, okay, I'm going to commit to this fucking creative project and I'm not going to know if it's going to sell until I write the entire fucking thing. And so it is, it's nerve wracking, but yeah. at, at a certain point and, and it, it helped. I mean, I had certain things which kind of certain external signs from the universe that let me know I was in the right direction. I went to this, conference called the Breadloaf Writers Conference, kind of two summers in a row, which really connected me to the literary community. So, I mean, although I didn't get an MFA, I did, I was kind of exposed to 
literary community in a very real way via the Red Loaf Writers Conference. So having that kind of validation along the way allowed me to say, okay, you know what? It's crazy to write a novel, but it's not that crazy. And there's a chance that I could really sell this because people are responding to the excerpts that they're reading. So so then once I really committed to it, it was uh, daily. I got up every morning, 7 a.m., slammed back some motherfucking coffee, put in my, uh, I write to film scores, um, or not always, but for this particular book, it was yeah. film scores. Yeah. Um, and love any, the film any score. Any particular? Pa- film score to Parasite is incredible. Okay. Um, I also love uh, the score to... The Skin I Live In, which is a Pedro Almodovar uh, thriller. Um, what else? Oh, the, the the score to Succession, the TV show. Sure. I don't know. There are certain things which just help me kind of... Because I, I write in a way which is also very filmic, so it kind of helps me to kind of... Especially if I'm working on a scene, to have a soundtrack, which I feel like could be the underscoring to that, that particular scene. Yeah, I mean, I'm at the end of my first novel. I mean, when I say the end, I am a week and a half from the three years I've been working on it, sending it to my editor, then I'm going to send it out. And I always wrote to uh, more like jazz, classical, things like that. We've had some authors who come on and like they need to be in a fucking cubicle, no windows, nothing, no input, nothing. Are you the kind of person, I mean, I see a window open, can you write in cafes and things like that? Can you get the work done wherever you need to get it done? Uh, I mean, I I can. I prefer to be at home Uh in my office. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I need need the privacy. I I pretty much always write with music. Um, And I hate, some people love my boyfriend loves writing or loved. I mean, now obviously with the pandemic, we're not going out to coffee shops to write, yeah. but my boyfriend l- used to love writing in coffee shops. Exactly. I always, I, I don't know. I hate it. I find it distracting. It takes me a while to get comfortable. Like yeah. I, I like having my, I'm very much a creature of, of habit. So I have my routine, my coffee, my music and pump it out. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like the Stephen King way. I mean, you know, he was writing those books in the 80s, just pounding cocaine and blasting Slayer. And it's like, you know, <laughs> and, you know so- I'm not pounding cocaine. That's that's one thing I will say. Not a I can't actually write under the influence of any drugs or alcohol. Really? You um, don't? You can't? No, I mean, I've tried writing drunk before. Yeah. I mean, also, don't really doing kind of drugs was a thing of my twenties more than it is now that I'm in my thirties. Yeah. But I've tried writing drunk like in the evening to see if I could like, I don't know, get into it. It doesn't really, it doesn't really work. Yeah. (laughs) For me, I know Stephen King. I mean, he was famously blowing up, but also I think drunk for a lot of, extremely drunk. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't misery kind of about his alcoholism in some weird kind of veiled way. I, I, everyone who people hate, I fucking talk about Stephen King. I feel like I'm not even, I'm not even a big Stephen King fan, but I'm a fan of what he represents. And, um, yeah, I know a lot of his history that dude had for, have you read on writing by Stephen King? I haven't. I know that I need to as a writer. I read his Paris review. I read his Paris review, the art of fiction interview, which okay. 
I feel like is probably almost like an abridged version of on writing. Oh, okay. It's a lot about like craft and shit like that. But because I have not read on writing, which is okay. it's always it's been on my list of I don't know. I haven't read like half <laughs> of the books on my motherfucking bookshelf. <laughs> I feel you on that. Um yeah, no, I mean I can't again, I can't write when I'm drunk either. I like to smoke pot, so like I'm the kind of I'm the dude who like wakes up at six AM, I work out. I have coffee by seven and like I'll smoke weed in the morning before. And that's when I write for two hours, I zone in and I'm able, that's, you know, but again, well, that's how everyone does it. Um, So after this first book, you kind of get the whole thing, you know, now we're talking, obviously, have you already started that second book? You said it does take place in LA or it's more of an LA theme kind of thing. Uh, It does. It does. It does take place in LA. Yes. I've, I've started, yeah, I've, I mean, I've I've started the second book. I'm pretty pretty far into it. Yeah. Um, Did that surprise no. you how quickly maybe you started that second project? Um. No, I mean there are kind of two two books that I'm. There were two ideas that were warring for space um, in my brain in terms of what I was going to do next as I was going through kind of the 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 finer points of the editing process. Cause it's a, it's a lot of back and forth with your editor oh, and yeah. then copy edits yeah. and first pass pages. Like there's, there's a lot of back and forth. So there's a lot of downtime. So it, it was helpful to have kind of another, I mean, in addition to other screenwriting projects that I had in development, helpful to have another book that I was kind of working towards. And once I committed to it, it was like, okay, here we go. It's scary. I mean, it's, it, it's crazy. You think it would get easier after the first time, but I don't know. It's not. I mean, it's because I think as an author, I mean, the book is, is, is horror slash science fiction. Um, and I would describe my yes daddy as kind of horror in a way where all the monsters are real. Um, which is kind of, again, the same idea for this second book, though it is fairly significantly different um, than the first. Um, I don't know. I'm not a person that can churn out, like, the same book over and over again. I feel like some writers are very good at, like, this is my brand. Uh-huh. Um, and some some people write very similar books that are that still are all transcendent and beautiful. Some people, I think, get trapped into kind of, like, pigeonholing themselves yeah. in a way. Um and I don't know. I'm trying to just write whatever the fuck I want yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because I just have to write what makes me. Why not? I can't write something that I don't believe in. So, so that's that's I think the thing. And and I also want to do like a. Um, I don't know. I admire authors that that don't write the same book over and over again. That are that are that do write things that are that are different and vital in their own unique ways. Any specific influences that kind of, I mean, I'm going to use your words, horror, sci-fi, any kind of influences that kind of made you go in that direction of fiction? Um, well, I mean, I can speak specifically about um, this book, maybe. Um, as opposed to more in general, because again, I, I don't, I don't necessarily think of myself as like a genre writer, though I do play with genre. I think that genre is a great tool to draw people in to a story and then surprise them with, uh, 
depth and subject matter that might not be common to, for example, the thriller genre or the horror genre. Mm-hmm. So that's really, I think, what I'm trying to do with with Yes Daddy. I mean, it it starts as kind of almost almost you know in a realm of of kind of your traditional erotic thriller. There's this like young uh, aspiring playwright who's drawn into the orbit of this very wealthy, older, powerful figure. And they kind of start this torrid, passionate affair. And then the older playwright brings the younger writer out to his Hamptons compound for the summer, um, where he's drawn into this very dark web of sexual abuse and assault, which is kind of like Brian Singer would be a good model of someone okay. kind of in the, the Hollywood landscape. So, so what starts off, you know, as, as something fairly conventional and in the kind of thriller, almost thriller or horror genre, then goes into something much deeper that really explores, you know, um, sexual assault within the queer community um, and kind of the varying intersecting um, traumas that can come from that um so so that i think is always my idea about about genre is how can i use this as kind of a way to hook an audience and then subvert their expectations and surprise them and draw them into something much deeper and more urgent than like fucking 50 shades of gray do you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean again i'm more i'm maybe a little more newer to this genre this sense of writing, but uh, two books that immediately, and I'm not comparing your book or you to these authors, but two books that immediately popped into my head were American Psycho and um, uh, Have You Read A Woman in the Window by A.J. Finn? I have not read the A.J. Finn, but I have read American Psycho. Okay. Um, it has been a long time since I've read American Psycho. I, yeah. I would, I would want to revisit it before I could... Um, really comment on it, but I mean, that book definitely pushes, I mean, yes, uses genre in a way which it pushes ends, at, it ends. You never know where you're really at. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and, and so it takes, yes, like the trope of the serial killer, but then does something uncommon or, or at least uncommon at the time, which is occupy that mindset from a first person mm-hmm. standpoint and then go to some really dark places. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I mean totally. I mean he he and then he also, I mean, Brady Snellis also um really bent genre with Lunar Park, in which he basically I don't know if you read it, but he I, fictionalized you know, Yeah, I've only done own. less than zero in American Psycho. Lunar Park, he fictionalizes his own life. Mm-hmm. Um and then works himself into a narrative, like a, basically a horror narrative, essentially, playing himself as the author. Again, it's been a while since I've read yeah. any Brady Snellis, and I'm not really a fan of his kind of uh, present-day persona. I think he's, he's an odd of- cat, right? Yeah, he's. I think he's got a podcast, too. I've kind of, I keep tabs on him, I think, via Twitter, maybe, in a sense. But, yeah, I don't know what he's doing. He's always, maybe you're a little more tapped into that scene than I, I I'm not really. I kind of oh, keep, okay. I kind of keep my distance. He's kind of, I think... He's gone crazy, I think. But I, I, I feel like he's like Orson Welles, and he's just taking photos of these young men in like weird clothing and like trying to promote things. It's odd. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not really tapped in enough to comment <laughs> with any great degree of insight on the current Brett Easton Ellis, other than to know I steer clear because I think he's kind of gone off the deep end. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of fucking people have gone off the deep end. Well, Jonathan, man, this has been an absolute blast, man. Um, Thank I you so much. No, most definitely. Um, again, the name of the book is called Yes, Daddy. Um, I like the title. I'm a fan. Uh, <laughs> I always ask two questions at the end of this. Um, first question being, any kind of social media presence? Do you do Twitter, Instagram? Where can people get in touch? Uh, Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, you can search for my full name or my handle is JP Rampage. Okay. Yeah. We're going to give you a follow after this. And also I know, uh, I think you said you're in LA now. I've kind of lost track at this point. Uh, throw out some yes. bookstores where, where, uh, where are people going to buy your books at? Oh yeah. LA. Um, I love skylight books. Yeah. I love book soup. I also have New York bookstores that are fond to my heart. I love McNally Jackson. Yeah. Um, is one of my all-time faves. Uh, books are Magic is another great one. Greenlight Bookstore. Those are all New York. Um, yeah. But yeah, support indie booksellers. We love it. Jonathan, so thanks so much for taking the time, man. Yes, thank you. I'm sure this we'll be up bad. again soon. Yeah, most yes. definitely. And enjoy, enjoy the success of the, of the first book. I'm looking forward to I think the copy's in the mail. Hopefully, it should be in the mail. Yes. We'll, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. All right. Thank you so Later, much. Later, man. Have a great one. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.